everyone, and welcome to the Fifth Quarter Podcast, brought to you by Podcast Central. We're here with Episode 9, Lest We Forget. Apologies once again for the technical hiccup we experienced last week. Thanks for your patience during this, and we hope you didn't have, have too much of a uh, hard time listening to us with our off-the-cuff recording with separate commentary. Uh, we're back to some sort of normal this week. So as always, here's a reminder to get your tips in. As the current leaderboard is Ben and myself out in first, Raj in second, and Justice Sama in third, with the addition of Sexy, Sexy Stone for this week. And uh, this round saw five equal winners with yes. Ash, Justice Suma, Brent, <laughs> Bree, and Ben and I. So we all got five for the week. So well done, but everyone. I still came first. <laughs> 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 so it's been a chaotic start to the first half of a crazy footy period, which has seen some huge upsets and some epic performances. But as we embark on a round where we remember the Anzacs, rest assured there's going to be some courageous and passionate performances this week. So from what we saw last week, we'll kick off with our heroes and villains, guys. So fire away with your choices. All right. So my hero this week is um, Gary Ambler. Uh, for for a multiple well for multiple reasons, uh, I guess the biggest like the biggest story was the booing, and I guess it sort of it either stemmed from him you know controversially apparently liking and dislike and then unliking Israel Folau's <laughs> sort of I guess I guess you could call it a rant sort of um, like anti anti gay semi rant on Instagram. And then anti-gay, anti-atheist, anti-sexualism. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and then you know certain, I will say, sort of in inverted commas, journalists demanding a, you know, a please explain from a guy who they know is very religious, and then just Gary's response, you know, sort of he waited until it sort of died down a bit, but still addressed it. And I feel like what he what he said and the language he used was perfect to sort of shut everything down it sort of didn't open the door for there to be more debate or carry on about it and I thought it was very um a very good response from Gary and the game itself was a very good response from Gary as well so yeah I think the booing either came from that or just probably his history of um breaking the hearts of Hawthorne supporters (laughs) Yeah, there was, it, after, after about half time, they didn't have much to cheer, so they might as well yeah, boo it. Exactly. Yeah, no, my villain for this week is uh, I'm going to, and I pumped up a Freo supporter, a Freo player last week, so I may as well bring down uh, a guy from my own team. Uh, I'm going to, my villain this week is Jack Darling. Um, he's been very, very underwhelming this year. Given the start that he had, Last year, he looked like he was, you know, on track to be the All-Australian centre-half forward, and then he was cut down by injury and sort of had to spend a few weeks regaining some form. But with Josh Kennedy missing the first week and his Josh Kennedy looks very underdone, it's the time for Jack to really stand up and, you know, prove that he can lead the team in the absence of, you know, the massive, you know, coming out of the massive shadow that is Josh Kennedy. But... Just every, I, I, I think he kicked three goals against the Dockers in what was a very ugly game. But I wouldn't say he sort of dominated in any part. He was very comprehensively beaten by Jeremy Howe again in the Collingwood game. And la, uh, last week in particular on Friday, 
Jack is known for being that like good around the contest and at ground level as well because of his athleticism. So it being wet, I wasn't expecting him to be such. I guess you could call him a non-event. Like I, I was at the game and I barely saw him. And you see the work that 32-year-old Josh Kennedy is looks like he's literally being held together with tape. The work that he puts in around the ground and just wasn't getting the reward for the effort, whereas Jack, you just sort of couldn't see him. And then any contest that was at ground level, just not around. And the West Coast forward pressure, especially the last two weeks, has been almost non-existent. And you sort of look at the forward line and it is it is different, but it's not that different. They're missing Mark Lacroix, who was never... He was never there for his defensive pressure like it was handy, but he's there for his goal sense and just how crafty a forward he is. Jamie Cripps is back, but, um, you know, to be fair to him, he's very underdone and he's probably one of their main tacklers up forward. Liam Ryan's sort of been up and down in a defensive part of his game. Willie Rioli's missing and everyone knows what he does off the ball. But Jack Darling has actually been one of the most consistently, you know, sort of defensive forwards in the league and it's just you're not seeing it this year at all and I think that played a huge part in why they were Port Adelaide essentially walking it out of defence on Friday Well I was thinking about so you said um, Josh Kennedy's probably in his very very late twilight years right now Um, and the the next exciting thing is Oscar Allen so Jack Darling could be just phased out from he could be outshined by Oscar Allen That's what I genuinely sort of fear for for um, Jack so We've seen once, uh, I think it was 2012, Josh Kennedy missed the majority of the year and Jack Darling really stood up and kicked 50 goals. Yep. And that was in his second season. Yeah. And we haven't seen, like, he's been good. He's, I think he kicked 30 or 40 last year. And there's been years where he's, you know, he's kicked 40 goals, which is not bad for a second forward. But then when there's games where Josh Kennedy isn't playing and you know they need him to stand up, he's just not there. I was going to mm-hmm. say, do you think there's a little bit of mental complacency with Jack Darling when Josh Kennedy's in the side because he just assumes that Kennedy's going to be the one to do a majority of the of the heavy well, lifting. Well, it's hard to say because at the start of last year, they didn't. Kennedy, I think, only played 12 games or something last year. and Jack Darling was the informed forward of the competition and then the injury sort of took the form off him. But there's no reason why he couldn't have started this year as strong, hmm. personally. So it's a, it's, a, it's a strange case. And, yeah, with Oscar Allen sort of stamping himself almost immediately, but you know with key forwards that it takes a good four or five years oh, yeah, for, for them sure. to really come into their own. It's, you know, yeah. sort of personally I fear for a, as an Eagles supporter, if Josh Kennedy, say, retires at the end of the year, which I don't think he will, you don't want to be waiting four or five years for another dominant key forward, and it's just you fear if, for Jack's spot if he's not going to perform consistently. For oh, sure. Rant sure. over. <laughs> All right, um, Ben, we'll let you go ahead. No worries, mate. Um, so sticking with the whole Ford thing that Brent's got going on, my hero uh, this week is Eddie Betts. Um, oh, yeah, he finally came back into form, um, albeit against Gold Coast. But Gold Coast have actually been pretty decent uh, this this year. Adelaide, not so. And I think he was he's very much a benchmark as to why uh, they were sort of a bit... Uh, off at the to- um, for the last few weeks. I mean, he kept he does try his guts out, but just wasn't getting a lot of reward. And um, uh, this week, really, uh, just won his 300th game, um, really livened things up. Six goals, three from 14 disposals. <laughs> like it's 
and that one that that even the commentators I think were just having heart palpitations from um in the uh in Eddie's pocket essentially um it was just remarkable and he, um, I think fittingly in his 300th game as well kicked almost pretty much the exact goal that won him goal, goal of the year yeah. in yeah. like 2006 or whatever uh, it was. If he so, doesn't well, that was win, pretty cool. If he doesn't win goal of the year for that one, like it, that the goal that beats it has to be something that we have. <laughs> oh, they'll give it. Seen they'll give it to one. Mason Cox, won't they? For that, yeah, uh, Mason, the greatest Mason goal ever kicked. He'll get one for kicking one top of the square. <laughs> Probably come yeah, from exactly. Mark of the Year as well. That was that that Eddie goal was uh, you couldn't script it. It was yeah. phenomenal. Yeah. It was it was it was no one could do it but Eddie. And I mean, even if you could script it, I don't think the AFL would have good enough writers to do it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, and then my villain is another Ford, uh, actually, in Sam Reed. Um. And it's been, he's a, been a real indictment on Sydney, actually. Uh, Buddy Franklin uh, this week moved to number seven on the all-time goal kickers list, uh, beating out Matthew Lloyd, um, the bastard. Um, uh, but Sam Reid, on the other hand, uh, he kicked two goals in his first week and then has kicked two goals uh, in the last month. Um, cool. Yeah, yeah, it's... That that you want to know why Sydney don't kick more than ten goals a game? There's half of your answer right there. Is that like similar to Jack Darling and, and West Coast? He just he's not getting much of the ball, and when he does, he's not kicking the goals that he's being paid to kick. Yeah, I think that's sort of been an issue that's plagued Sam since I guess his whole career. So you know we've seen him at his best, and you're like, man, you know this guy could be. Could be one of the best forwards, but you could say that about a lot of forwards. But then you won't see it again for a year, and then he's just sort of you know consistently sort of average. Yeah, yeah. I think Franklin's getting to that part of his career where he does need a very very dependable and potentially dominant forward by his side, not just the sidekick, which is what Sam's sort of been comfortable doing, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he, he's just happy to. He's almost like he's just happy to be playing as opposed to actually doing anything of significance. Well, given how many injuries he's had, he probably is. That's fine, but it comes to it comes a point where that mentality has to, you know, go to the wayside and you have to be there to play the game. Like not well, not just play the game, but actually win it for your team. Influence it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Well my sort of question of that is, you know, I you know, you wouldn't think he'd really should be in the side, given where they are on the ladder and how inconsistent he's been. But who do they have to come in to replace? Yeah, that's, I mean, that's a very good question. I don't know Sydney's <laughs> depth and I know well. I, I know he's not a key forward, but they've also lost Gary Rowan, who's kicking a few catch along yeah, as well. So. Yeah, so it's like they've got, so, I guess they've got Tom McCartan, but I think they've been playing him more down back. Um, they're pretty thin up there. Yeah, so it's sort of it's hard to tell what. Which is what, strange because you'd think they would have recruited at least one other key forward in the last two three years as backup. Yeah, well, if, I they, think knew, been... if they knew Sam Reed was going to be a bit iffy getting into, getting onto the park anyway, with what with you know injuries, why haven't they recruited another forward? The buddy factor. Well, yeah, well, they do have 
Tom McCartan. So I think they, you know, they went after Franklin and Tippett straight away. Obviously, it didn't work. And I think that's like Nathan said, the buddy factor. So they're sort of waiting, patiently waiting for just to key forward because they know they're going to have to have a key forward happy to be there for five. Yeah, yeah, it'd be hard. It'd be hard for someone to want to go to Sydney knowing that they're ultimately second string until he retires. Well, that's why not draft one then. Like draft a kid. Well, like, they, I mean, and, they have, but you sort of wouldn't. What I'm, what I'm saying is, do they pick? Do they just go and pick them now, knowing that they might be, they might have the same impact as Sam Reed for a few games, or do they just sort of persisted? I, if if I was uh, the um, the with Sydney, the I don't even the the talent scout, I guess I would. Think I would seriously consider picking up yeah an 18-year-old key forward and have him just learn under Buddy Franklin and see what he does. Um, let him you know be in the twos for you know maybe maybe you know 18, 24 months. Um, this is you know two, like if I, if I'd done this two if they'd done this two years ago, do that with do that. So then now so then now when you've got this problem with that you've only got Franklin and Reed, then you have the option to go, okay, well, Sam Reed, you're being dropped for this up and comer and we'll see how we go. I mean, it's, yeah. it, like they should do it now, um, but they should have been doing it two years ago. Yeah. I'm sort of in the boat where I think it's obvious now that they, um, they can't plaster over these cracks anymore that have sort of been coming the last couple of years. Um, and it seems like they've, Invested a lot in Isaac Keeney, and I think they've sort of thought he'd come along a lot more than he has as a forward. So they may have been using him as sort of like a pseudo big forward because of the big marks he can take, but he hasn't been, he hasn't really stamped himself as sort of like a star. No. So it's. I always saw Isaac Heaney as a little bit more of a, um, like an outside, more of an outside mid to half forward flank kind of guy, anyway. I mean, yeah, that's where I'd rather him, but you don't know what. Sydney, yeah, it's, it's hard to tell what's going on at Sydney. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Uh, so that is that your that's your view. Yeah, that's Sammy. that's 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 my little my little bit done. <laughs> Sydney's forward line, it's evolved. Into. Pretty, yeah, it, it, it was Sam Reid turned into Sydney's forward line. Like <laughs> so um, Just Sydney bring, in general, maybe it brings me <laughs> to my hero. Um, so I was fortunate enough to go or to be in Melbourne for three games, all of which were boring. Um, there was the the highlight of the all, all three games though was a man named Dylan Shield. So everyone yes. knows the name. He's um he's come to to Essendon with big expectations, right? But that game. that game, yeah, he 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 was just demanding responsibility and demanding the ball everywhere. I was just watching him go, and usually I don't like guys that wear fluoro boots because you know they're usually real bang average. Yeah, but right. um. But that was, that was the name I was going to say. Was there you go. And um, and so I was watching him just kind of off the ball and stuff, which you can do when the when the TV's not only showing yeah. you where the ball is. Um, and it was awesome just to see him get in position. And he, the ball, he got thirty six touches, ten inside fifties, and he was just getting in the right spots. And do and when, with North many, Melbourne, what sorry, was that? Do you know how many meters he he gained? How many yeah, meters like he got? 885 or something, eh? 
Something yeah, eight, stupid. Yeah, eight hundred and eighty-three. I think to be <laughs> yeah. to be perfect. What um that, really? What really? I, I was just loving it. What I thought was um great about that was he got a lot of his disposal on the outside. Yeah, he's one of those players that can obviously do both, but he's like the most graceful-looking inside midfielder. But having yeah. Heppel Merritt, you know Merritt's back, Zach Merritt's back. And I mean, oh, even, even Fantasia was a lot better in the clinches. And this is coming up against North, who uh, that's probably all they've maybe got going for him at the moment. Yes, yeah. how good they are in close, and just having Shield on the outside. And then the, add in the fact that um, add in the fact that Andy McGrath's now putting a lot more time in the midfield as well. Um, oh, he's hitting the scoreboard, man. Exactly. Was, yeah, I think. Uh, the six 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 rule is really helping out Essendon um, because you're not. It's it's almost. It seems to be the case that big-bodied midfielders with that new rule and everything opening up a little bit isn't as necessary anymore. And you can see that because like Essendon's, I think, are the number one team in scoring from clearances, especially center clearances. And Essendon's midfield doesn't have a huge uh, whole. A big, uh, let me try that again. Essence midfield doesn't have a large amount of big-bodied midfielders. They tend to be a little bit on the smaller side, but they're quick. They, as soon as they get the ball, they go. Um, yeah, I mean, and good luck that. stopping that. Heppel and I guess Myers would be the only real bulls in there, but you wouldn't describe either of those guys as bulls, would you? No, no, no exactly. <laughs> I mean, they're, they're big and they can get the ball, but they're not going to be like a Paddy Dangerfield sort of. Yeah, struggle off every tackle that gets laid on and them. And Zach Merritt's sort of, you know, like the Lockie Neal style where you're like, man, this guy's tiny, but yet he's beats beats up half the bigger guys around the ball. Exactly. Yeah. It's funny. It's funny you guys mentioned, you mentioned like the, the bull midfielders, and I was very close to having the entire Melbourne Demons outfit as my villain because they're just a bunch of bulls that do nothing. Um, sure we've done that already, haven't we? And yeah, I was I was sitting at that game, and if it, if it weren't for already choosing my villain before that, they were they were right up. But for me this week, my villain, and it's 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 not necessarily just this team, but it's any team that does it. But in particular this week was the West Coast Eagles supporters at the game. So I could not believe that a team. I know the I know the weather was bad here in Perth. That's all well and good. Surely they would have stayed if they were winning, but. For a team that won a flag five games ago and to have one bad game and the people take off in the third and fourth quarter before the siren goes was a disgrace. Yeah, and so I was um I was at that I was in at this game sitting in the terrible yeah, sitting in the terrible weather. Yeah. There was people leaving at halftime. Yeah. And it's sort of one of those things where you're like, come on guys, your team is down, don't you want to get behind them and support them? And I know they haven't shown much, but You've seen teams come out after halftime and they can turn the game around. Well, the now, thing we, that, left, that got we left with 10 minutes to go, but that was solely... They're not, they're not going to win in the next 10 minutes and the weather was terrible, otherwise probably would have stayed. But Yeah, the, like, the thing that got me was when I when I saw the, the, the stands in the third quarter and stuff and there was heaps of people gone, I, I couldn't... Like, I, I couldn't believe I was thinking these boys on the park have given this 50,000-odd people a premiership just months ago, and in the space of one game, one bad game, like that's all it was, is they're walking out the doors, and they'll use like the weather as an excuse or whatever, but 
you can't leave that early. And and the problem is, like the reason I bring it up is one of my one of my good mates used to work for Transperth as a scheduler, and he would say that they used to have to schedule extra trains at three quarter time at West Coast games, which I couldn't believe, but that was the true reality of it. And and that's what was so sad. I was like, this team is an amazing team. Just stick around, even if they're losing. Just watch them. They're like they've given you the world. They're bandwagoners, plain and simple. I, they're oh. not actual supporters. I, I mean, I, I was I think that's sort of ignoring the fact that a lot of teams do that. So, the prelim yeah. final last year, I watched Melbourne's cheer squad go from about I don't know the, that fifty to two. So, like, it's not like they're the only supporters. Oh no, I'm, I'm not. I'm not saying. I'm definitely not saying that. My point is that this team, it's five games ago, yeah, no. gave their supporters the ultimate success, and in on. one bad game, they leave early. Like, yeah, this- what I found about with that game is I don't think a lot of the members went because there were a lot of tickets either being sold at the door or being given away, and I think it was a lot to do with the weather and members. You know, well, like, <laughs> I don't know how many members of any team are actual fans they just go because they can and they've had a membership since and i mean i don't like like those people to be honest but the amount of old women that are members for west coast blows my mind yeah that's probably true yeah but the thing is i mean they should try they should try supporting a team for 25 years it's never won anything and stay in for the whole game then it's challenging this is how i this is how we relate to this all right i was in uh melbourne a few years back watched uh, Essendon versus Carlton. It was pouring down with rain for the entire match. Essendon never actually hit the front at all for the entire match. I stayed until the final siren. Nearly gave myself pneumonia because of it. <laughs> but I stayed. And they, like I said, they never hit the front. Not once. Carlton ended up beating them. Because that's what Carlton do for some reason against Essendon, um, but like I said, I didn't I didn't leave at like half time, three quarter time, knowing that the game was over. I stayed because it's my team, and I'm going to and I'm going to watch them play till the bitter end. Yeah, I mean, I think teams obviously West Coast aren't struggling; they've played a bad game, and yeah, clubs like Melbourne and Carlton. You know, been See, down yeah. for such a Child long time. It's a bit different. I could justify. But, no, but it's sort of like you know, when teams are struggling, even in a game, they need their supporters behind them. That's isn't exactly. that the whole reason that yeah. ground advantage could be such a huge thing. So yeah, yeah it's disappointing when um, people just leave in droves at halftime, especially. I get it. Yeah. Sort of, I left ten minutes early like, because of the weather, but there's no, you know, you can tell ten minutes to go if they're going to win or not. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, and and for me, it's not it's not a go at West Coast. It's it's any any team that does it. But it just for me, the fact that they'd won a, a grand final five <laughs> yeah. games ago, I was like, yeah. guys, you've got to stick it out in a little bit of rain for a team that won you a flag. Come on, they've given you a flag. The least you can do is stay there for the entirety of the, the game. thing about um, West our Coast, game. The thing about West Coast supporters, and obviously, I'm probably a bit more exposed to them than you guys, is um. Because they've been blessed with success pretty much forever since West Coast have been in the league, the one of the most successful clubs. Yeah, yeah, it yeah. Sometimes yeah. seems like <laughs> any, sometimes seems like anything less than a the perfect season is a failure. West Coast fans were calling for Adam Simpson to be sacked at the start of last year. 
And it's sort of oh, like, so, you know, he'd have his be, missed finals. Fair, to be fair, a lot of Collingwood supporters were calling for Nathan Buckley's head as well. Yeah, <laughs> been, the difference being Buckley had been there for seven years and they'd gone backwards every year. Adam Simpson had missed the finals once in his first season. But making finals, even making finals is not enough. Yeah. So it's sort of like, yeah, I think it's just sort of indicative of their success that fan, the fans have experienced over 30 years. Yeah. It's still, I think it's still extreme. Like, no team can be that good. Yeah. Anything, I mean, Hawthorne, Hawthorne, should have, failure, but. Hawthorne should have the greatest reason to do it. Yeah, but, yeah um, just walk out of every game at quarter time because Hawthorne. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going so well, to say this now. I don't like Hawthorne as a club but at least their fans aren't as entitled. I don't know about that. I, <laughs> I mean, it might, be the, it might be the fact that we do live in Perth and not Melbourne, but, I mean, it, they, are, they are so self-entitled, and I don't mind saying that. Come at me. <laughs> well, I might, I might cut us off there. We're going to harp on for ages because this, <laughs> yeah, is, this has been going. a really passionate heroes and villains (laughs) (laughs) so we're gonna so what we're gonna do this week is it's gonna we're gonna come to the previews as we usually do right but so due to the staggered games we can't give you a a whole lot of insight on the team selection because it's coming daily at us and we have no idea what's happening but one thing we haven't been giving them a lot of team selection anyway recently yeah i mean we we, we can we can start doing that next week when it's a little bit more concise but you know the only thing we can assure you of, though, is that there's every chance any bit of tipping advice we give could be wrong. So the way this season's running, we're not going to harp on and justify why we're tipping who we tip because obviously no matter how much of an expert you are, yeah, you look at the guys on the all the pundits on TV and they're probably getting threes and fours in tipping. So we're just going to give you a tip with maybe a little bit of insight and that's about it. Yeah. So, tip, tipping has literally become a 50-50 shot. That's yeah, pretty much. Yeah, and did you, um, Steve Hocking has sort of taken credit for that, and why wouldn't you? But um, what he was saying during the week about, um, I think they said in five games, 23 have been won by the outsider, and at this point last year it was six. Oh, wow. So he's jumped huh. on that, and he's like, yeah, that was that was me that did that. Yeah, I <laughs> did all of that. I am <laughs> the reason. Of all hail yeah, well, Why wouldn't you? Yeah. So, I mean, well, we'll, we'll start off with... We'll start off then and see if, if the outsider can win this one. Richmond v. Melbourne at the MCG on Wednesday. Or no, tonight. Richmond. Today. Richmond? Yeah, nah, Richmond. Yeah. Yeah. No outside. No, Melbourne's too much of an outsider. They're so outside that they're freezing in the cold homeless. Yeah, the difference yeah. for me is Melbourne are still lost, whereas Richmond are back. Yeah. And they've got Jack back as well, so. Yeah. Yeah. No, after watching Melbourne live in the flesh and being bored out of my brain for three hours, I am not going them. And I think Melbourne are sort of Richmond light anyway. So yeah. they're sort of, you know, like yeah. copies out of what Richmond were doing and. But worse. Richmond. Yeah, well, <laughs> Richmond won a flag doing it, and Melbourne got annihilated doing it. So. Yeah, <laughs> and keep getting annihilated for yeah. some reason. Yeah. So we jump across to Thursday, which is essentially the highlight of this round. Um, yeah. And being being Anzac Anzac Day week, um, we wanted to put a special focus on that in this episode because we we want to remember those um, 
who fought for our country. And so this this is a day where the whole nation will stop and watch two teams in one of the most emotional encounters, and it's Essendon Collingwood at the yeah. MCG on Thursday day. Yeah. How good is this going to be? I'm not working, and my wife usually gets home around one, so that's when the footy will be on. Yeah. <laughs> I'm very glad that Anzac Day is a public holiday that I get off every year. Um, oh, yeah. Because yeah. It's, this is the one, like, apart from the grand final, this is the one game that I always want to see no matter what. Yeah, um, and I think it's sort of important to celebrate the efforts of the Anzacs as well. Oh, um, for sure. Especially, you know, like going back to Gallipoli, which was, I guess, part of the start of our national identity and sort of one of the last one of the last few wars that I guess you could say meant anything. <laughs> um, yeah. So, yeah, it's, a hu- it's obviously a huge day here and I'm, it's definitely one of those days. I'm glad I'm not working. Yeah. Oh yeah. Very, it's a it's a somber occasion, but yeah. um, yeah, it's it's very necessary. Well, so like yeah. You, s- oh, go on. Sorry, just quickly, you look at like finals, you know, right? And they play the anthem and and stuff, and and it's really kind of spine tingling. But the last post on Anzac Day and stuff, oh, imagine man, standing yeah. there as a player and just the rush of, I guess, emotion and adrenaline yeah. you'd be getting, especially when the entire crowd is silent as well, and oh. that's all you can hear is that trumpet. Yeah. Or oh. the sorry the um uh, I can't think of what it's called at the moment bugle yeah 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 yeah, yeah. yeah so I um saw a meme during the week which I shared with you guys I thought it was pretty funny it was uh, um you know an Essendon fan whoever put it together sort of inadvertently putting their scalps into perspective so the teams they've beaten are Melbourne Brisbane and North and they were basically saying like oh Collingwood you're the, you're next but when you look at are they, they though? Yeah, they beat Melbourne, who were last. Yeah. They beat Brisbane, which you'd say was an upset this season, but if if it had happened last season, no one would be surprised. Mm-hmm. Plus what and what Collingwood ended up doing to them last week. Yeah, and North Melbourne, who are I don't know, they're in they're, definitely they're, in the group of worst teams of the year. North Melbourne are North Melbourne. Whereas Collingwood are you know, they've, they've gone the opposite way. Well, now that Carlton's won a game, North's definitely in trouble. Yeah. Yeah, so, you know, Collingwood lost to Geelong, who probably the informed team in the competition outside of one game and the reigning Premier. And they've sort of beaten everyone else. So you'd have to go to Collingwood. Well, who knows, but you'd have to go to Collingwood. Wouldn't it, you? it will be a litmus test for Essendon. I think so, yes. Oh, yes. Their first, um, not their first real opposition, because they play GWS, but it'll give us a better idea of it will be their first are, real opposition. It will be the first real opposition where Essendon are actually playing. Um, but I still, as much as I love my Bombers, and I'm very happy that they're now three and two and actually in the eight, I do see Collingwood winning this. It will be yeah. one and lost in the midfield, and I think Collingwood's midfield's better. Yeah, well, as we touched on like last week with Geelong and Hawthorne. The Anzac Day game is one of those ones that it's hard to pick because you can tell both teams have they they put everything they've got into it. Yeah, it's one of those games you're never afraid that one team's not going to show up. I mean, sometimes you know there are blowouts, but mm. more. I do. I, I, I do. Close. I, I am half expecting Collingwood to be able to shut down Essendon's run. That's and I that's that's yeah. They the did very thing. did very well against Brisbane. Yeah. See, there you go. Not that yeah, and Essendon is obviously better than Brisbane at the moment, but yeah, it's it's a it's a completely different outfit. 
yeah, I'm, I'm Collingwood. Oh, I don't know. Yeah, I'm Collingwood, but if Essendon rock up, I'm excited that it could be a really good Anzac day for the first time in a while. This season, expect- pretty much every tip for me is 41, well, like 51-49. <laughs> yeah. I expect, yeah. I expect Essendon to show up because it looks like they've, they've got that consistency that they got that they uh, had at the um, back end of last year. Yeah. Uh, instead of taking him two months to, to find it this time, it took him two weeks. Yeah, the um, only thing is... But it doesn't... Dif- the but difference Col- as between much as, Go on. Sorry. As much as Essendon has found that mojo again, they and they're probably a little bit better than they were last year, especially with Dylan Schill in the side. In the side. Collingwood have also gotten better. And Essendon yeah. couldn't beat Collingwood when when Collingwood were that good last year, and as much as, and so I mean, tail of the tape, man. Yeah, it's um the difference between Essendon's best and worst is probably the biggest in in the comp at the moment. I think yeah. so. You sort of fear for why Essendon will show up, whereas you know Collingwood's worst is. Still pretty good. Yeah, still pretty good. Yeah. I like to think. Right. I like to see we've seen the end of the Essendon's worst. Yeah, yeah we'll let, let's hope so. Let's see if we keep them <laughs> yeah. going. Yeah. Um, um, let's see. We've got Friday night at <laughs> in Adelaide. We've got Port Adelaide North. No one's looking forward to this, are they? Port Adelaide. Port Adelaide, man. I mean, yeah. How could you? Who, not? who would tip anything different? How can you? Oh man, they walked all over the reigning premier, and they've got yeah. Port, I think I think Port North Adelaide, last, aren't they? Yeah, they are now with the percentage. Yeah. Um, so they're Port playing. Adelaide have a game plan to stop West Coast, and West Coast are faster than North Melbourne. Is it called brain dancing? <laughs> no, it's it's the fact that they when they kicked it into their Ford fifty, they didn't just hang it in the air for for intercept marks to accumulate for West Coast. They were doing like yeah, it was raining, but so, but they were kicking grubber balls. They were kicking real low darts they were letting their um crummers just go for it yeah well Where, i think uh, multiple teams do that to west coast i think the difference has been doing it consistently and just how terrible everyone but west coast back six was yeah. on friday but my my, my, case, my case still stands is that west coast aren't the fastest team around that they're, they're not they're not that slow but they're not the, definitely not the fastest team around North Melbourne are slow. Yeah, I just don't. I don't think Port, so good at so, all. Not, <laughs> not really. Um, like you said, their their best asset is their midfield, and if you can run rings around their midfield, which Port Adelaide will do, you've got them beat. Yeah. Well, well, yeah. I, I don't. I don't think. It, I don't think many people are going to tip North, but if you do and you get it right, well done. Um. The, if you do, then how much do you actually know about football? That's, and how much of that was just a pure punt? Well, I keep feeling like people that are doing well in tipping this year don't know much about footy, but you and I are top, Ben, so we better, we better not... We clearly know a little bit. Like, <laughs> we if better we're not top. say that. We yeah, better not say that. So yeah. Saturday, Saturday morning, or I'm not sure if it's morning, it's afternoon, whatever it's morning, it is. morning in Perth. For us, Yeah. It's uh, Gold Coast, Brisbane, the Q clash with Took Miller, Dane Zorko going toe-to-toe. What are we thinking? Arguably the 
the most hyped Q clash we've had, given yeah. how each team has started the season. Um, obviously, both coming off not the best games last week and Brisbane's sort of dream starters crashed and Gold Coast, I made the point uh, last week that they the clo- they were the closest team to undefeated because their only loss was by a point. And they've actually tumbled all the way down to 11th. Yeah. But I mean, I've got... you how even the, team, the, side, the um, yeah, sides are this year. exactly. But I, I think Brisbane will win. Yeah, I agree. Um, and yeah... I just think they're a better team, and I think Gold Coast, like we said, the the competition that they have, their draw to start the year, and Nathan made a good point. You can only beat what's in front of you. Yeah. But yeah, I think Brisbane. Yeah, yeah Brisbane for me. Both sides have improved, but that just means that Brisbane still have the wood in terms of. Um, like skill and structure and chemistry over Gold Coast. Yeah, you saw the look last year in Brisbane were by far the best team in the bottom six, personally. They just couldn't win for ages, and Gold Coast were, you know, they were sort of the battle of the wooden spoon for a bit with Carlton, and you sort of wonder how much teams could possibly change in a year. Yeah. Sometimes, but, I mean... Like perfect I, segue to the next game, I guess. Yeah, I was about to say, speaking of teams changing in a year, St. Kilda, Adelaide, both yeah. teams. Um, have I'm, gonna ride, I'm just going to jump on the bandwagon. I've got St. Kilda. As you, as you which should. Means, which means I'll get it wrong. It's Adelaide. <laughs> and Adelaide well, no, by 10 goals. But. No, our streak, our streak was broken, surely. Because you tipped Adelaide last week. I, right? I did, yes. See, so there you go. With the, the curse has been lifted somewhat. Um, but I'm also tipping St Kilda because they are actually, they look like a top eight side at the very least. Yes, the they do. And taking Melbourne into account, um, I think St Kilda Does, might have the goods over Adelaide. And yet St Kilda, don't forget two weeks ago, St Kilda did beat Hawthorne. Yes. So, I and I'm pretty sure it was at Marvel Stadium as well, yeah, wasn't well, it? Yes, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm, um, I am thank you, ba- <laughs> I am hesitantly backing Adelaide, seeing what seeing oh. first hand what St Kilda did last week was super you, impressive. You do know that two weeks ago Adelaide lost to North Melbourne at the same ground I'm, at the same time. I'm aware of that and I do no, know that I do know that just terrible on I do know that three days ago my mob somehow beat the team that I thought was going to beat them by 100 points, so I'm not going with my brain. <laughs> Fair enough. It's, uh, Fair enough. I'm, I'm, I think I'm going Adelaide at this stage, and I'll wait for the teams. But 51-49, eh? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty much 52-48. I, I might actually go outright first this week. Oh, so come that. on, mate. <laughs> hey, come on, mate. I might get nine. Um, hey, that's true. That's true. You could jump all of us. Yeah, see yeah. Well, now to a, now to a game that um, well, it's another derby, derby, but it's probably not as highly anticipated as the other one, and it's the Swannies versus the Giants. Um, yeah, well, does anyone in New South Wales even know what it is? I I feel like I battle know. for the bridge. They're like, what are you talking about? You wouldn't have thought last year that the highlight game. If you put the Sydney clash and the Queensland clash against each other, would be Queensland. But um, 
after after last week, I I still I'm still going the Giants, but I yeah. just don't know how they didn't wipe the floor with Frio. I, so hopefully they can beat Sydney. Yeah, I think we sort of uh, had a rant, probably had a rant about Sydney, and I think that'd be why it's pretty obvious that I'll be going for Chitterus uh, this week. Yeah, <laughs> it was funny. I oh sorry, go ahead, Ben. I was going to say in answer in response to your little question there that it. Again, because it's this season is just so even and weird um, that you know GWS just couldn't put Frio away, um, and Frio, I guess to their credit, have improved more than we expected them to. Um, and I, I, it could be just a case of GWS being off a little bit uh, that game. Um, which that will happen from teams from time to time, but obviously with this season, uh, if you if that happens, then you know you're gonna pay the price. I don't expect that to happen this year, this week though. Um, they should get over Sydney quite easily. Which brings us to Saturday night at Optus. It is Frio and the Doggies. So Frio, the surprise of the week, and Doggies lost to Carlton and conceded a <laughs> hundred plus points to Carlton. Yeah. Uh, going by form, and it's in Perth. I'm, you got to go free out now. Yeah, I well I am, um, and because yeah, Frio's form, Bulldogs' form. Although Frio very, nearly actually beat West Coast. Yes. Uh, with their with their should. own with, with their own game plan. Is um, is Matt Tabernar Frio's best key for? If he's kicking straight. He's he's a good mark. I'll give him that. It's terrible. I, terrible I think kick. I think he definitely needs some confidence, and you could tell him he was shaking in his boots a few times there. Um, yeah, well, I mean, if Joe Danaher can be considered a top fifty player, he can't inside of a barn door. Surely that's tabs true. Well yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're considering Again. tabs. Tabs is playing on Phil Davis as well. So. Apparently, the best key exactly. forwards only kick a goal fifty percent of the time. <laughs> Tell yeah. Lloydie that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell Lloydie that. Well, Lloydie's the exception that proves the rule. Jason does. <laughs> Tony Lockett. Tony Lockett. <laughs> so we've got we got the Frio, old Frio, school Frio. exceptions that prove the rule. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm, Sunday I'm from the past twenty years. I mean, anyway, I mean, Buddy Franklin's pretty much set the standard of like it doesn't matter if you only kick him fifty percent of the time as long as you're kicking them. Yeah, he kicks them enough that. At 50-50, he still kicks five goals. Yeah, well, he'll kick 13. Exactly. He'll kick 13, 13 and 0 one week and then 1 and 13 the next week. Yeah. Exactly. And yet he's still he's considered, like, top three. So, Matt Tabernard, man, just keep doing that and you'll be fine. Yeah, exactly. Just just be Lance Franklin. So, <laughs> you'll be he, hey, he could be. You never know. If, you never you know, know. You never know. He's got plenty of time on his side. So, we've got... A Sunday morning clash that hopefully lives up to the Sunday morning theme this year, and it's Hawthorne Carlton. So Hawthorne's just come off a loss to the Cats, which is an honourable loss, I guess. But Carlton's come off their first, not only their first win in a long time, but their first hundred point score. Yeah. Yeah, there you in go. Like seven decades. I think it was a thousand. <laughs> <laughs> it's seventy yeah. years. Damn. A thousand and fifty-one days or something. So it's close to yeah. seven decades. But yeah. uh, if my math adds up. Yeah, so Hawthorne aren't, you know, I think they overachieved last year and I don't think any of us had them at least confidently in the eight, maybe it's sort of by accident picking teams, but 
given that it's in Tasmania, mm. um, and Hawthorne, you know, they're, I guess they're fairly polished and they generally don't drop games you'd think they should win. But yeah. Carlton, you know, they might have renewed renewed purpose now that they've finally got reward for, for their efforts at the start of the year. But I'm going in Hawthorne. I think this the, the Tasmania thing that's swinging me more than anything. Yeah, Carlton may have a little bit of renewed confidence, but Hawthorne, and I'm, assure, I'm assuming in particular Alistair Clarkson, wouldn't care if it was an honourable loss. A loss is a loss in their eyes, and they want to rectify that. Yes. Especially against Geelong. Particularly with you saying it's in Tassie, Brent. I haven't even looked that far, but, yeah, yeah. it's the for me. Yeah. Yeah. So, finally, the last game of the round, and it's a Sunday, Sunday actually, a blockbuster for, to, yeah. to end the round. Um, and it is the latter leaders, Geelong, versus West Coast, who are in eighth, but only a game behind them. So, yeah. <laughs> it's, they're playing at Alphabet Stadium, so that is advantage Geelong in that regard. Yes. But re- nothing really splits these two. No, I think... The determining factor is going to come down to whether it rains or not. Because you see, West Coast, <laughs> when it doesn't rain, they beat everyone. It's, the Frio game wasn't even raining. It was slightly sweaty. So, word just <laughs> in, they've, uh, word just came in that they've installed sprinklers on the ceiling of uh, <laughs> Alphabet Stadium, and they're shooting out onto the park. <laughs> That's what I was sort of saying um, on Friday. I was like, if they don't train on Monday with the sprinklers on, tell me what. Yeah, uh, it's it's hard to pick. Um, I think I had Geelong at the start of the year, just because of you know the sort of the fortress that Alphabet Stadium is, and I'd sort of back that up given the start to the year as well. I mean, they did lose to GWS there last week, but the current form that West Coast is in, uh, wouldn't be convinced that they'd go out there and smash them. I yeah. see West Coast I, n- like not playing the way they did against Port Adelaide, but it, it's still not going to be enough to beat Geelong at Alphabet. Yeah, I get, like you said, they l- did lose to GWS a couple of weeks ago. That was by three points. But GWS don't. I don't think they play like West Coast do. And uh, I, for some reason, I just see Geelong's way of playing is going to be able to beat West Coast's. Uh, way of playing. I am going West Coast, and I think that depending on what time the flights are, their supporters won't leave early. <laughs> if they decide drive. to fly at all, no, I'm, no, I'm I'm going West Coast. I think I think they're they're definitely going to bounce back. They played one bad game, and they're they're going to be f- filthy. Fair enough. Um, so this brings us to closing questions. So for those of you who don't know or are hearing this for the first time, each week we try to ask just any kind of random questions that we've got for each other or if you want to send some in via the Facebook page, um, via Twitter, via whatever means you want, flick them through to us and we'll ask the questions and, and we'll answer them as well. So who wants to fire off with an early one? I know Brent's got a whole stack of them. So we've, got, <laughs> um, we've got a Word did- document full of them. No, Did we that. want to re-answer Paul's question? Yeah, why not? Let me find it first. 
All right, I'll start then. So we saw Buddy jumped up to, what was it, seventh? Just just lapped Matthew Lloyd on the all-time goal-kicking tally. I think it takes him to, what was it, 9.27? Something like that, 9.27. Yeah. So two-parter, will he kick a 1,000 goals? And if he does, or even if he doesn't, will we ever see another 1,000-goal career? I mm. Ham, what's he on? Uh, 927. I'll tell you. I'll just chuck him in. 927. Quick. I reckon it, I think it's 927. Because I'm pretty sure Lloyd, he kicked 926. And what's his contract Nine, left? He's kicked 928. Oh, well, he's there you go. contracted for another three years. I'm yes. I'm mistaken. Yeah. yeah. 63 yeah. goals in three years. Yeah. yeah. That was, my thinking was yes. Yeah. And my thinking for the second part was no. Because if we look at the list of 1,000-goal players, there's Tony Lockett, um, Coventry. Dunstall. Dunstall, Ablett. Well, and I, is that it? I'm pretty so, sure. But he's only, he's only got to average two goals a game for the rest of his contract, really. Yeah. Yeah. And that, but at, Oh, so 1,000 goals we've got. Lockett, Coventry, Dunstall, Doug Wade, Gary Ablett Senior, uh, Jack Titus yes. kicked nine hundred and seventy. So Doug in... Wade's the one I always forget. Yeah. Sorry, Wade. Because <laughs> um, he played for North Melbourne. No, oh, that's there you go. They explained it. <laughs> he kicked um, two hundred goals in two years at North Melbourne. Wow. Uh, I yeah. I mean, they were saying I would I would say no that we won't see someone else kick a thousand goals in uh, a career but they said that when Lloydie retired that we wouldn't see another one and then Buddy Franklin came around so you never know yeah um, you, you do know you never know but I mean we hadn't seen one since Matthew Lloyd and even he didn't and, kick a thousand yeah. I'm uh, gonna go with yes but you sort of look You're, at this there's five in a hundred years, and we were lucky enough to have three all playing at the same time. Yeah, <laughs> I reckon the the game and the rules change so frequently that It'll go we back could the be, other way. We could go back to a point where there's just yeah. a big fatty in the goal square, and that's it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, that's true. So I'm and gonna the, go with yes. The thing with um Franklin as well is that you never like you'd want him to kick a thousand. You assumed that. On the current trajectory, he'll kick a thousand, but you don't know how quickly his body could decline. Yeah, that's right. Well, like, and you, but again, you sort of... I go back to Lloydie. You know, they thought he was going to kick a thousand, and then he just he sort of bottomed out in those last, you know, season that last season. He or two. also he also tore his hamstring off. The I mean, that's yeah, that never helps. Um, I mean, who's, I, who's hoping Buddy Franklin doesn't have that happen to him? I really I just, hope that doesn't happen. I just he just needs multiple. Yeah, you go okay. on, Brent. Uh, I just look at the average goal, like average goals per game of the top seven. They've all kicked. They all kicked more than three, and Buddy's average is the lowest out of any of them. And then the next best active player is Josh Kennedy with two and a half. Mm-hmm. So. Obviously, I don't think any of the current players are going to kick a thousand. No. Given the way the game is, I don't think it would change enough. That's no. all, like, yeah. I don't know, someone super young. 
Oscar Allen because he's the first one I can think of. Like you don't think any a young, even a 19 or 18 year old will be able to kick a thousand. So I'm not sure if we will. Then again, I, who thought that an 18, 19 year old Buddy Franklin would even get close? Yeah. So it's you, you just don't know. Um, you really don't. It's like if it ends up being that yeah everything's opened up and then in terms of spacing and the rules and all that sort of stuff and there ends up being a point where yeah it's actually very strategic a strategic advantage to have a key forward just in the center square for the entirety of the game there you go yeah all right do we find Paul's question I did I did um, cool. so uh, it was yeah, that's right. He was he asked us about uh, our thoughts on the mid-season draft returning and who at this stage looks like they will benefit from it the most. Yeah, so I probably won't rant as much as I did last week, even though everyone <laughs> missed out on how how much I hate it. But I don't think anyone in the competition right now is in a position where drafting a random rookie is going to do anything, and. If it's simply there to just clog up a spot that's currently vacant on your list, what is the point of it? Yeah, I, I agree with that. Um, it's a it's a mid-season draft rookie list. Uh, yeah. Listing and, and it's that what are, yeah what are they going to to give you in yeah. in the in the three months of the season that will be left when the draft occurs? Yeah, what what, what, what absolute significance do. could they give that team? Yeah, Nathan made the point last week about a mid-season trade period. Um, I'll let him make it again, but yeah. So, so for me, it was um, it was going both ways. So there might be a club that, out of sheer desperation, needs to bring someone in. But as a result of that, a, a, an either a player that's starved of opportunity, being second, third, fourth string, could get a chance, or a club that can get rid of someone like that can really cash in with a good trade to someone who's in just ultimate desperation. So. I can't see why a, a bottom club would do that out of desperation because what have they got to win for the year? But any team who, say, um, fighting for the finals or something and they lose, say, a Ruckman or a key forward or a key defender and they're, they're trying to plug a hole, they might go to someone who's outside the eight who might be willing to palm someone off for a high price and take that person. Um, so maybe in those cases a, a trade period, but I don't think a draft's worth yeah, it's like you, you look at sort of North Melbourne or Sydney or, you know, we're going to pick on these teams while they're at the bottom of the ladder, but their premiership window is not open. And mm-hmm. obviously Sydney yeah. are a lot better on paper than they've been playing, but you, they're probably not going to make finals, let alone be anywhere close to a grand final. For sure. They, w- they would be one of those teams, especially Sydney, at this time of year if there was a mid-season trade period, starting to offload some of those older players. And getting overs for them yeah. as well. And exactly. So even if it's, you know, club favourites like Luke Parker or something, that would seem like heresy to lose. But it's not going to be there when they win a flag. And then there's teams that sort of desperately need a bit of firepower in the midfield and he can play forward as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. Especially someone like Melbourne <laughs> um, could use their sort of outside class. And oh, yeah. Sydney sure. would only benefit from extra draft picks if that is something that a club would want to give up. Yeah, yeah. they could actually they could finally get their key forward that they want, yeah. would need. Or something. Yeah, and yeah, like you said, people would pay overs. 
especially if they're uh, desperate. And Sydney as well, like there's, you know, when there's rumours of Zach Jones wants to go to Melbourne, it's sort of, well, if there's a mid-season trade period, tell us now. And yeah, we'll, yeah. we'll do it now instead of you having to wait to the end of the year. Yeah. No, I, yeah, I agree with all of that. Yeah. Yeah, I just don't, cool. can't see how a draft is helpful. <laughs> well, I, I can't actually remember. I'm pretty sure I had a question when we did our failed recording. I can't remember what it was. So Brent's got a pull of them. I don't know if you want to fire out or if Ben's got something. I've I've got a couple. Um, I actually just very quickly want to get your thoughts about uh, Birds of Tokyo playing at the start of the Anzac Day game. Is that uh, what's happening? Bird, Birds of Tokyo will be uh, playing. Um, yeah, I think it's I think it's going to be before all of the um, the traditional yeah, sort of yeah, Anzac stuff. You would hope so. <laughs> yeah. 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 If it's if it's after the fact, then they have really messed up. Well, I don't. Um, know. I'm not a fan of Birds of Tokyo, but you know, I sort of don't really care either way. I don't think I'm going to turn it on until it's the Anzac part anyway. Yeah. Honest. Like. Yeah. That's not making me want to watch it more than I'm, yeah. that I'm already going to be watching it. Well, in, I, <laughs> I mean, in that aspect, then the AFL has failed in what they were trying to do because they were like, they obviously putting in versus Tokyo to um, have more people sort of uh, It's probably the second the biggest game. game of the year, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It, it, it is. It literally is. So and why don't we like, need, we need, we need more, more of the, I guess, more of the, the general populace to watch the game. So we'll bring in versus Tokyo at the very start. It's like, there's no, that doesn't actually help anyone anywhere at any time. <laughs> well, and even then, are they just going to tune in and watch Birds of Tokyo and turn it off? Exactly. Like, what's well, the point? If they want the general populace who aren't already watching um, the Anzac Day clash, why don't they just throw on 10 minutes of Married at First Sight in, in front of it? <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't the general populace watch time. that? Time, yeah. I, it's either that or uh, was it My Kitchen Rules or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Jesus. So, um,. You coach, say you coach the team that you, or you're the list manager of the team that you support. Taking a look at where your team is now, and sort of the players you've got, where the premiership window is. If you could take any player in the league at the moment for your team, who would you take? I want Lockie Neal back. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, that was a quick response. Yeah, oh, I saw that. Coming. Um. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably I'm all happy missing with, at the moment, eh? I'm happy with what we recruited up forward. We've got we've always had a pretty good defence and I I'm just devastated we need someone else in the middle. Yeah, it's uh, it's funny how um, this seems to be the missing link now. <laughs> yeah. I'm uh, really trying to think of who I would take. because uh, we've got Dylan, Dylan Shield <laughs> now, exactly. Um <laughs> Oh, who's the star that's out of contract? Just take him. Don't think you've got there are any. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's a couple. I mean, you got you know, a couple from GWS, but Josh Kelly. Yeah. I mean, I don't think you'd necessarily need another mid though. Probably don't need another GWS midfielder either. No, not really. Probably you probably to replace Danaher if he can't kick. Mm. Oh, man, like you said, he's happy with less than 50%. So. <laughs> I didn't say less than 50%. I said 50%. <laughs> uh, 
fifty percent or more is a is that's it. That's that's your there's your um there's your forward line. Forward I, would, line. I would take Tim Kelly or Toby Green. Yeah. yeah or or Jamie Elliott because he's very similar to Toby. They're very similar players. But oh yeah for sure. Yeah. yeah. I mean we may get Tim Kelly anyway, but. Well, and yeah, Freer will knock it as well. Probably will, yeah. So um, that's probably all for our questions now then. Yeah, I'll say mine. Uh, well, yeah. I'll, I'll very quickly add this one just, um, because it's kind of revel- relevant and it's still to do with Anzac Day. Um, it's, it is Essendon versus Collingwood. It will always be Essendon versus Collingwood. But if you could choose two other teams to be in that Anzac Day game other than Essendon versus Collingwood, who who would they be? I would have it be based on performance. So I sort of felt the same last week with North Melbourne just getting, you know, that's the game, good Friday football, when what have they done to deserve it? Well, I mean, they've so, got yeah, it I mean, because, that, because they are a minnow club at the moment. Like, yeah, but they don't deserve it. Like, no one's watching it. I mean, you watch it, but it's very unimpressive. So you sort of go, "Oh, we we want this game." They really pushed for it, and then they so would you give it to beaten twice? So you give it to give it to deserve it. So would you give it to a fixture? So would you give it to a club at the moment, like say St Kilda? No, so if 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 we scrapped it, if we scrapped it after this year, say Anzac Day, they were like, "Okay, we'll get rid of Collingwood Essendon. It's a new game now." At the start of the year, the AFL should pick two teams they think deserve deserve it based off their form from the last year, and that's the game. All right. Well, and they- you do run the risk of the teams being on opposite ends of the ladder, but it's not you're not like consistently watching one team just get walloped every <laughs> every time. So yeah, just go by form for the last. Let's say yeah, you got the last five weeks that have occurred, and Still on Collingwood, say, and say the last, uh, and the and like the final series as well from last year. So Geelong just going Collingwood. on what you just said, Brent, Geelong, who would you put Geelong in? Collingwood, yeah, Geelong Collingwood. Right. If they if they're doing the fixturing, I did say with so, I did say not Essendon or Collingwood. Oh right, oh, but there's no one else in Victoria that <laughs> doesn't have to I be mean, Victoria. Doesn't have to be Victoria. This is just Anzac right. Day. I'll just put a derby on then. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Yeah, well, you know, if they're doing it at the start of the year, you'd have to go by the, the year before, and it could be a grand final rematch or something like that. Yeah, that'd be but, cool. No, I'm happy with it being Essendon and Collingwood because games are always great. Yeah, they both deserve yeah, like to be there. Big fan bases. Yeah, exactly. It's a huge game. It's just the Good Friday thing is, you know, disappointing. And, and the reason... Yeah, and the reason that it is as good, big as it is is because of Essendon and Collingwood making it as big as it is. Yeah, I mean, yeah, obviously the day is big in and of itself, but the match and the way that match is presented and... Um, yeah, I'm happy for that to be one of the traditions. That, yeah. That stays, because their games are always good. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, that brings us to a close for, for round, what are we, five, six? Six. Round six, sorry. Round six. Yeah, yeah, as a close to episode nine, round six. Sorry, I keep getting those two mixed up. What number we're on? 
But um, thanks for joining us again. Hopefully this episode was slightly more enjoyable than last week. Um, enjoy every single day being a day of footy now. Yes. Uh, it's going it's to be a wicked week again. Lovely. And we will catch us again next Thursday. Enjoy the footy, guys. Enjoy that football. Take it easy.